bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. And I'm Erica. And Erica, good news. Maybe it's our last episode of the season. Thank God. Oh, my God. I am so fucking exhausted. I can't even tell you. Like, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm with my trainer and I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm struggling. I was doing this like, <laughs> uh, like a week ago. And he's like, you're probably exhausted. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm fucking exhausted. Like it took me, it takes like time and a half, 150% of the time to do what I normally do. I struggle to write an article that I've been wanting to write. It's just, I know when I get to like this time of the year, I'm done. Mm. I'm just going to peace out and done. I'm winding everything down. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like this past week for me has just been... Um, very intense. And part of that's, you know, I did it to myself, but uh, oh, we always do it to ourselves. But yeah, it's more, you know, trying to also like integrate back into the world because like all of those things that I would have been doing would have been fine if, you know, I was at the office and able to like multitask all of those things and like really compartmentalize my time or if I wasn't also trying to like have a bit of a life. Yeah. Um, And so now I'm kind of like in this like weird middle space where I'm still a little bit of a hermit and like feeling the like COVID of it all, but then Mm -hmm. still trying to get into the normalcy, which is not the best place to be. But yeah, someone said to me this week, oh, I'm drowning today. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, that's not a word that I personally use to explain my situations usually, but man, I really felt it. I was like, yeah, yeah. that is, you know, there's a lot of anxiety and panic. Yeah. yeah. This week. Well, okay. So the pandemic is one, but I think there's growing anxiety over affordability too, mm-hmm. and inflation and things aren't looking too sweet. And mm-hmm. I just think, I think everybody is struggling mm-hmm. and, Like I've said this privately to a couple of people, but everybody's fucking struggling. Mm -hmm. I almost hate to see people pretend like everything's great because it ain't everything's not great. I mean, there are times when you're like, oh, cool, you know, this day's better than that day or whatever. But fuck it. We're all struggling. We're all trying Mm -hmm. to manage this. And I think for the holidays and, and if I were to give like just be kind to each other, give each other a break give each other some space and, and the um, benefit of the doubt because we're all just trying to manage. Yeah, still. And like, it sounds silly, but still we're all trying to manage and it's going to be going on for a long time, which means the old normal ain't happening. Yeah. At least not anytime in the near future. Well, it's just going to change because if we have, if there's another lockdown, which I don't, the way these governments are behaving, I doubt it, but mm-hmm. you never know because who knows how this pandemic is going to go, right? Mm-hmm. There may be a need for another lockdown. Then I don't know how we're going to get back to, I was reading something in the Ottawa Citizen about how downtown is changing and it's not going back. Mm-hmm. And that's just in Ottawa, but Ottawa is full of government workers downtown. 
yeah. and tech workers if they're not government workers and the people who service that. So I just think that our sort of urban topography is going to change. Our habits and our lifestyles are going to shift. I'm really, I'm really curious as to see how, but yeah, I mean, how is real estate going to change? It's really mm-hmm. just wild. For sure. And so, as I mentioned, this is our last regular episode for 2021. There will be a misogynist of the week later this week, but we're not going to end the year without a gift for all of you. And that gift is an interview with quite possibly my favorite guest ever. Yeah, definitely. And that will be available the week of December 13th on the subscriber Substack feed. I will say that even though I'm exhausted, I'm still pumped from that interview. And we recorded it like a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. And it's shifting just the way I even comment. Like I commented on abortion today on Global News Radio Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, no, like the host was kind of trying to say that Canada is better. And I'm just like, no, it's not. Mm. It's not better. We don't have abortion laws and we don't we all, we don't have a right to to choice mm-hmm. that's in law that's legislated. And he's like, well, you know, nobody politically is going to bring that up. I was like, political climates change. Mm-hmm. You can't rely on political climates. Well, and, and especially if you think about vis-a-vis the U.S., that conversation is going to make it here. Yeah. It's going to have to. Exactly. So the stick your head in the sand approach isn't, oh, I have so many thoughts. I have it's, so many, so many What thoughts. a thing for a man to say. Oh, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> the fuck, like, the fuck, it'll fucking handmaid's tale the shit out of this <laughs> before you know, like, in the blink of an eye. What do you think exactly. I am, Exactly. Because guess what? American women, I know American comfortable white women said the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's fine. We yeah. have it in law. It's fine. Well, motherfuckers, those conservatives came and changed the people administering those laws. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, you know, that's wildly effective. I'm impressed. We have said over and over and over and over and over again on this podcast, it's going to change. We said it in 2018. I remember we were talking about this. It's going, people. Roe v. Wade is next. Mm -hmm. And as usual, People just sat on their laurels because that's what centrists do. They don't fight for anything. To be honest, the reason we even have rights is because of radicals. Okay, centrists do nothing to protect rights. They just sit there and draw from the teeth of of activists. They're they're complacent is really how I would sum it up, you know, in a really dangerous way. They like the status quo. They don't want to rock the boat because here's another thing. They don't want to make waves and like offend people. Okay, that's fine for them. But here's my problem with them. Then they turn around. Well, it's not fine for them. But then they turn around and they want to tell us that we're wrong for fighting for shit. Mm -hmm. Like you could go fuck yourselves. Mm -hmm. All those white women who never gave a fuck about abortion rights for racialized women, for women with disabilities. Okay, because that was a big thing, too. Mm -hmm. Right. For poor women. They can all go fuck themselves. Okay, we're not talking about abortion this time. I know. You could go through back catalog and find all our thoughts, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Well, 
we've been talking about it. Remember, we did an interview with Rewired. Uh, is it Rewired News? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's Rewired News. Imani Gandhi, I want to yeah. say. And I forgot the other woman's name. Uh, you could go back and check that out. That was sometime around 2017 or something, because we've mm-hmm. been on this. And they are follow them on Twitter. Follow them wherever they have been fighting for this and yeah. fighting against this for years. Yeah, they've been doing this. And so, Erica, we also this past week hosted our first founders event. Yay. And so thank you to everyone who made it out. If you are like, what the fuck is that? Basically, if you become a founding member of the podcast, you get kind of secret private events with us. And we just talk about whatever's on your mind. And you kind of act as a sounding board and advisory council to myself and Erica. Yeah. An advisory council. I like that. Think of us as VIB Rouge. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I I really had a great time. It was a very interesting discussion. We talked a lot about the public service. Mm -hmm. We did. And what what it's like and, and, you know, how do you basically change the public service and i'm just like wow <laughs> yeah major eyes emoji that's yeah. a generational feat and then erica do you have any housekeeping things that you'd published in the past week or so i wrote a piece on vaccine apartheid which we'll talk about later and basically how you know melanie jolie and that new who's the new health minister oh uh duclos basically showed their anti-blackness with this policy mm-hmm. the racism in this policy Woo! i am I, writing a piece on bia botley though oh nice of course you are yeah <laughs> well who else is gonna do it in this country <laughs> literally literally no one literally no one <laughs> literally so not one <laughs> not a fucking one out of the 35 million people it's literally only gonna be you <laughs> i know <laughs> can you imagine Oh shit, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Come to Bad and Bitchy, where you will get political discussions that you will get nowhere else. Literally nowhere else. No, no, literally nowhere else. Yeah. And so like Erica said, today we're going to be discussing vaccine apartheid. But first, we're going to kick it off by talking about how Twitter co-founder and CEO Jack Dorsey resigned this week. Yeah, I you know what? I was not surprised by this news. No, I, I, I don't think I was either. The timing is a little strange, but the news itself. Eh. How so? Talk about it the was, timing. It was just like December. December just seems like a weird time. I don't know. But he, I guess he did say like, oh, this is my letter of quote unquote letter of resignation. It'll take effect in a month. So that'll be like January. OK. And so if you're like, what the fuck? Basically, yeah. Jack Dorsey, Twitter's co-founder and CEO, is stepped down, stepped down as the chief executive marking an end of the era for the company, which has been shaped and guided by its forward thinking and at times distracted founder. Dorsey will will remain a member of Twitter's board until at least sometime next year. I think he said May or June. In other ways, Dorsey's resignation has long been anticipated, like you said, Erica. Wall Street investors have criticized the Twitter co-founder for his outside interests, such as running another important tech company he started, Square. You may be familiar with it if you have paid for anything during the pandemic. 
He's also been, you know, pursuing futuristic projects around decentralizing the internet with blockchain and traveling the world, Erica. In just the last year, formidable activist investor Elliot Management pushed him aggressively for him to resign even sooner. So Dorsey's replacement is former Twitter CTO, Chief Technology Officer, Parang Agrawal, who has worked at the company for 10 years and is regarded as a trusted leader among his staff. Agrawal was in charge of executing Dorsey's vision to build a decentralized version of social media built on blockchain technology, which would allow users to choose their own algorithms. While Twitter suffers the same problems around hate speech, extremism, and harassment, that every major social media platform faces. It has managed to garner praise from members of the social media research community for offering more transparency, at at least compared to its competitors, so the bar is pretty low, about what goes viral on its platform. And the company clearly wields incredible influence as the social media platform of choice for world leaders, journalists, and many celebrities and newsworthy figures. I think My, that of, of course, including myself and Erica, <laughs> of course, of course, I, I find. OK, so let me just break here and just say that Twitter has become the water cooler of the Internet, mm-hmm. more so than Facebook and more so than Instagram. Oh, yeah. News breaks on Twitter. Some celebrity news breaks on Instagram, though, but news breaks on Twitter. And then it gets reported out unless like media organization is doing investigative work, then they'll break the news on Twitter. But either mm-hmm. way, that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. And, and, and it's because of the way you can retweet another person that you may not be following into someone else's feed or have them be retweeted into your feed that you get the news. Yeah. Which see- is you can't do on the other platforms. You can ah. repost, you can repost to your stories, someone else's Instagram post, but then you still have to click through to read it or whatever. That is a great point about how Twitter works in differently. It's completely different from all the other platforms. Twitter is very transparent as a social media platform form, not necessarily as a company. So what I mean by that is exactly what you said. You can access a whole lot of content without having to follow people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes it less of the barrier to see what's out there is reduced that way. And I don't think I'm going to say this. I don't see Twitter being as restrictive and as much of that uh, echo chamber, like the echo, because of that, because of the way it's laid out and the way it works, the echo chamber, escaping the echo chamber is not as hard. And I think that because it's open in that way, it does make the barrier for entry higher for most people. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons it sort of flatlines in terms yeah. of acquiring new users yeah. because it is a Twitter is its own culture. And I think that that we're going to talk about why later, but Twitter is its own culture. Mm-hmm. All of 
the slang that you are using now comes from Twitter and a particular space in Twitter, mm-hmm. i.e. black Twitter. Mm-hmm. So woke black Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, all of these words, all of these terms come from, I would say, black queer Twitter specifically. Mm. I think one underappreciated thing of Twitter, particularly the way I use it, is that, you know, when you're on Facebook or you're on Instagram, you're very dialed into what's happening. Your mm-hmm. your attention is all on your phone mm-hmm. because those are the platforms where most people are using those apps or those mm-hmm. platforms. Whereas my I mostly use Twitter on my desktop or on my laptop and it's very passive. Yes. For me. So like if I have my Twitter open on one screen, I'm working on another screen. I can just kind of look to see, I get used to people's like avatars. And so I can see when a particular person has tweeted something based on like the colors that I see, or if I see breaking, I can like stop and look and see what's going on where I don't have to give it all of my attention all the time. Right. You know, so that's part of the reason why I like it. And why I, I guess, have so much useless knowledge and memeing in my head. Oh, my gosh. The twi- oh, the memes on Twitter. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they are fantastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, OK, so first of all, everything from the other platforms on the Internet ends up on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So let's get that straight. And then like half of Instagram is like Twitter tweets. Yeah. So Twitter is powerful and it is I think it's I think it's more powerful than Wall Street even values it at. I agree. I think I think it's undervalued and I think the value is tied to the users and not the way that the information is shared and not the growth of the users either. Yeah, because Twitter users are engaged users, super engaged. Yeah. And that's the difference, too. I would say Instagram has engaged users, too. But Twitter has the people who are on Twitter. I know there are people with their little ghost accounts, whatever. But the people on Twitter who use Twitter are power users. Absolutely. And, you know, as we've been kind of been talking about here, Twitter has struggled to gain the volume of users and financial success as competitors like YouTube, TikTok, and Facebook. And that's because it's taken a relatively measured approach to growing its product. And so for a long time, Twitter wasn't focused on making money and it didn't sell ads for years. And its product design hasn't really changed. But in a similar vein, it also didn't buy a lot of other competitors as Facebook did with literally fucking everything, most notably Instagram and WhatsApp. And so Dorsey stepped down as CEO once before after being pushed out by his board in 2008, only to have a Steve Jobs style return back in 2015. But though this time it seems less likely that he'd actually return, given that this is more of his decision rather than him being pushed out. By many metrics, this has been a really good year for Twitter. Revenue is up and so is the user base. It shipped more individual products than perhaps at any other time in its history. Most notably, it cloned Clubhouse, which is something that we have really liked. And that's the Twitter spaces. And so they did that really quickly. And that kind of left Clubhouse in the dust. 
Clubhouse was wild. We've talked about Clubhouse in a previous <laughs> in a previous episode, so we're not going to go over Clubhouse today. However, Clubhouse was just wild. Okay, I mean, I was just like, I would roll into Clubhouse space. I'm like, what am I listening to? You know what I mean? It was just, yeah, it was. It was. It, just, was, it was not the space for me. It was not the platform. No, no, me neither. In fact, I'm going to take it off my phone. I already did that. <laughs> I, I'm just like, and you know what I, what else I like about Twitter? Here's the thing. Facebook is stuffing everything that everybody else has into the platform. It's slowing down the platform. It's difficult to navigate. It's really jumbled and it's a mm-hmm. pain in the ass. Yeah. And I, I really don't really spend time on Facebook anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I used to be a Facebook power user and like after a while, I'm just like, fuck this. I'm just sticking with Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Like I still post on Facebook because now I use Facebook more as a depository for, you know, for articles to refer to later in case I want to write about something. And it's really good for that. But other than that, I'm just like, I'm over it. Like mm-hmm. I just, nah. And yeah. that's the thing. Like when Twitter put up, Remember when we had fleets and I I remember thinking, fuck, we got to Why are we doing these stories everywhere? Mm. My God, like just leave it with Snapchat, you know, and um, and within like within a year gone. Yeah, we all hated it. Yeah, gone. And then they bring in spaces and we're like, whoa, we like spaces. Yeah. I feel like Twitter is more responsive that way, yeah. you know, to its user base in the sense that, okay, users aren't using this. Like it's more likely to bring in and take out stuff that the users are like, nah, we're good. I wonder how much of Facebook integrating things like stories is just because they own Instagram. Yeah. Right. Cause they're like, oh, well, people are already posting these things on this other platform. Why not bring it to this, this our old, old school one. And like, I get that thinking, but also the communities on my Facebook and Instagram are different. Yeah. And so like, it's not for everyone. Exactly. The other thing too, is the same as as Twitter. Like they're all different. Yes. Yes. I have different voices on each of them. Same. And so I don't know if everybody does this, but it's true. My communities are different on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Like most of my media communities on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, most of my policy people are on LinkedIn. By the way, LinkedIn. So I'm really into radicalizing my LinkedIn. And I was doing it sort of subtly. And now I'm like, fuck the subtlety. <laughs> because I, I, this is a LinkedIn rant aside. Okay. LinkedIn is awful. Okay. It's an awful platform because it's really not a social platform. It's a fucking resume platform. It's an ongoing fucking resume platform. And I'm sick of people's resumes and they're bullshit. And you know what I get on LinkedIn is a bunch of fucking fake social justice people. Mm. Now that it's hot, they're like, I'm all social justice. We should do this. I'm like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, first of all. So Mm. let's get that straight. Mm-hmm. And so I have like I'm starting to like follow like especially black people, black professional people who are like, fuck this shit. 
and that's the way I'm going on LinkedIn. No regrets. Mm-hmm. Seriously, I'm just tired yeah. of people's bullshit on LinkedIn. Yeah, I just every time I see people commenting on other posts, it just seems so fake. And I hate it. Yeah. Do I find it is interesting. I do get some interesting work or business or that type of thing from LinkedIn. And there are definitely some people that I only know on LinkedIn, which is fine. So it's good, a good thing for, again, a different network, but I'm pretty passive in my use of it. Yeah. I saw you posted something the other day and I was shocked. (laughs) I was like, is she, did she, did she like accidentally like drop into this? Like (laughs) it's called shameless self-promotion, Erica. Ah, attention. (laughs) Yes. As we mentioned, Pereg Agrawal was named the new CEO of Twitter And he is a 10-year Twitter veteran who rose through the ranks as an engineer to become its chief technical officer. And given Dorsey's weird religious devotion to Bitcoin, it makes sense that he would want to hand the reins to a fellow Bitcoin evangelical. I I hate this. (laughs) I hate, so do I. I hate but, Bitcoin. I, I like Bitcoin seems like a dude bro thing to me that they just want to make happen. I have, I have a lot of conflicting thoughts on it. I just I just I don't I just the people who I hear talk about Bitcoin. Listen, if you're going to invest in Bitcoin, don't invest in the coins, invest in an ETF. That's my advice. Yeah. Yeah. Less volatile. Exactly. But still volatile. OK. Speaking of Bitcoin, I love how they've they've scrubbed the history of Silk Road and Bitcoin. Oh, and like, and like that is the reason that Bitcoin was even developed mm-hmm. was because of Silk Road. Mm-hmm. So, Interesting. yeah. And so obviously crypto culture is very polarizing as we've literally just barely scratched the surface on. So it bears watching how many Twitter employees will come along for this new adventure with Agrawal and what may fall by the wayside as a result. And that depends in part on how hard Agrawal leans in on that issue. But early indications are that it's a high priority for him. So that'll be really interesting to see. In particular, Agrawal has been key in the creation of Project Blue Sky, an open source project that has tapped some notable crypto developers to build an open standard for social media. The aim is to create technology and protocols that would allow content posted on one service to work across multiple social networks, similar to how emails can be read using any provider. Blockchain is like something, it's not for me, in terms <laughs> of like really understanding it. No, anyway. I, I look, I don't think that most people understand it, which makes, which just points out my point. And so, of course, as Twitter is wont to do, just hours after Jack Dorsey announced his resignation and said that Agrawal would be taking over as CEO, an old post of his came to the fore. However, those criticizing Twitter's new CEO 
just don't seem to want to realize that Agrawal is just quoting an episode of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart that aired that very night in 2010. The nearly 10-minute segment on NPR's firing of Juan Williams, quote, the NPR staffing decision 2010, is still available to stream on Comedy Central's website. And so the tweet in question reads, quote, if they're not going to make a distinction between Muslims and extremists, then why should I distinguish between white people and racists? I, 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 I think that's quite accurate. He's not wrong. No. But obviously, you know, people who are Silicon Valley type bros are a little more libertarian, a little, quote unquote, a little more racist. And, a little. Yeah. And then you've got all of the like alt-right people who leverage the platform for misadventures, if you will, <laughs> are feeling threatened by a non-white person leading the, the company and how that will impact their ability to subvert democracy, if you will. That's why I was like, oh, Twitter is looking up. <laughs> like, <laughs> I might stay like I every now and then I will I will tweet something and I'll be like I'll never leave this app and I think yes. it's true <laughs> yeah because I'm sorry like first of all conservatives have Facebook I mean they're like tickling Zuckerberg's ball, like balls actually I don't know who's tickling whose balls and that's a scenario leave Twitter to the activists just say mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. where would Black Lives Matter be without Twitter exactly and great transition, Erica. It's well known that African-Americans influence on Twitter, where they are overrepresented, both compared with their numbers in the United States population and compared with other demographic groups who use the internet, shape meme culture, fashion trends, slang, and humor. But it also fuels cultural criticism and political demands. Black Twitter not only empowered this historically marginalized group by giving them their own space for their voices to be heard, but also gives them a platform to demand that privileged non-Black Americans recognize the racial injustice that still exists. The Black Twitter movement was a revolution for this generation because it created a safe space driven by a generation of people who are socialized to be more alert to the social, political, cultural, and economic injustices that exist around them as opposed to a life of ignorance for other people's experiences. And this has led the way for future movements by people who choose to speak for themselves. And a great example of this, I would say, would be the the Arab Spring back in 2011. Most definitely. And And the umbrella protests or umbrella revolution in Hong Kong. And so mainstream media platforms mine Black Twitter for content and ideas. Popular hashtags become fixtures on the nightly news, and Twitter is breaking news stories hours and sometimes days before CNN. And as it pertains to advertising, Madison Avenue in New York also appears to be paying close attention to the memes and hashtags generated by the culture, with Taco Bell and IHOP being quote-unquote on fleek, and Jimmy John's calling customers bae. Black slang is being used to sell crap. Isn't anything new, but in the digital space, why aren't these brands effectively recruiting those who have the strongest grasp on the demographics they're marketing to? I.e. Black people. And not all Black people either. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, you know, it's funny because I, I will bring this up. When companies and 
white people start using it, you know, it's time to go. It's time to go. And so, I mean, woke is a really good example. It is, frankly, it's the point is, is that the whole idea of woke and that word is a great example of how black activism is then co-opted and used against us. Yeah, I really like the point here that companies would rather use their presumably non-Black social media people to steal these ideas, right? Like, and it happens on TikTok all the time. Yeah. And other platforms where white creators, white influencers Mm -hmm. co-opt Black slang, Black dances, Black culture and receive accolades. Well, Jimmy Fallon was Black Twitter dragged Jimmy Fallon once because one of the one of the TikTok dance crazes who yeah. I will say, you know, who has been really, really good with with that and selling her music is Megan the Stallion. Mm-hmm. Megan the Stallion on TikTok, like her, even before she got on TikTok, her music was being used as backgrounds for like little TikTok videos, right? And I think Instagram and TikTok have really, really, really made her a global superstar. Her use of that has really made her a global superstar. But yeah, I mean, we talked about, I think we talked about blackfishing, for mm-hmm. example, which is basically blackface on social media in a way where girls especially, it's very gendered too. Mm-hmm. Girls especially will make themselves up to to look racially ambiguous with black features and will pretend to be black, use black slang, use black culture, mm-hmm. and then are mum on black issues and will make money off of that. Mm-hmm. It is the Ariana Grande. It is who I saw appropriate Asian culture the other day. It is... And it, it, like what I'm saying is it goes beyond blackness. We, we, we haven't talked about pretendians yet, but that's, a, that's an example of how our cultures are co-opted, reimagined, and then used against us. So Erica, that does it for our last episode of 2021. Woo! And we get a much needed rest. Yeah, we're going to be off for at least six weeks. Yeah. So... We have a tendency to take long Christmas and summer breaks Mm -hmm. just because of the intensity and the volume of the work we do otherwise for just for this podcast. I just want to say thank you, everyone who signed up and subscribed. A special extra thanks to our founding members Mm -hmm. and just you guys is willing to fork over $200. And it really means a lot because it just goes to show like you all, not just founding members, but you all actually appreciate our work and you're willing to pay for it. And that means a lot to us. So absolutely. And if you do want to become a subscriber or if you want to gift a subscription, which we both recommend, head over to badbitchypodcast.substack.com or check the description of this episode right here. Or we post it on Twitter, lots of options to make sure you find out where you can become a subscriber to make sure you get access to one full episodes of the podcast, to the show notes, 
and three bonus podcasts, like the one we have coming up in a couple of weeks to end the year. The mm-hmm. other thing too is it is Christmas season is as Aaron just said, please gift the subscription to somebody. I think there are a lot of people out there who could probably use even just like a way to like channel their own rage. Mm. <laughs> but also we come with a lot of educational resources, etc. I'm sure there's somebody in your life who could use that. So I would heavily, heavily encourage you. And I would super appreciate it if you guys actually gifted a subscription to somebody who you think would enjoy the podcast. Mm -hmm. So on that note, thank you so much for another great year. And Erica, I will catch you in the new year. Of course. Bye. Bye.